being here with us today. If this is your very first time at Hope Church, thank you for being here. Please come back next week because Pastor Wes and I for sure want to meet you. We are in the great state of Texas this weekend with Warehouse Church, one of our overseers, Pastor Ed Finkel. So we are with them today, definitely missing you guys, but you for sure got the best end of the deal because we have brought in the best of the best. Today, you get to hear from my pastor. This guy is the greatest visionary of all time that I've ever met in my entire life. When God births a vision in him, he sees it through till the very end. He had a vision of seeing a million people come to hear about Jesus in the Manila, Philippines, and I got to be there to witness that. And over 250,000 people came to know Jesus in one night. They were discipled, they were put in local churches. Man, when God gives him a vision, he sees it through. He had a vision, man, probably about six years ago to plant a church. And we got to be the recipient of that vision. Through my pastor, we were able to plant Hope Church and without him, we wouldn't be here today. He has seen great vision in Kenya and has seen a field that has now seen over 5,000 students become a school and, and become a church. And man, the vision that this guy has is like none other. I'm so thankful that I've been able to call him pastor, coach. The number one thing I get to call him is dad. So dad, I love you. This is totally no fun that you're there and I'm not. But man, Hope Church, would you stand and honor and welcome my dad, my pastor, Dr. David Janning. so happy to be here today. You guys realize how fortunate you are to have a worship band like this. Let's give the Lord glory for them today, would you? You guys are awesome. Not only they are great musicians and great singers, but you could just sense the Lord in their life as they, as they lead and lead us into praise and worship. I love being here in this church. I've been praying for this church for 10 years and uh, way before it began. I was praying that God would raise up this church, and uh, God always does it better than you ever think, and uh, this is a wonderful fellowship. Do you know this is a wonderful fellowship you're in? This is an incredible place. Uh, I just sense something when I come here that uh, there's no place else just like this place, and I'm always happy to be here. We were on the Dream Team for the first year, and then our next daughter and her husband started a church in Maitland. So we're over there helping them get started over there now at Anchor Church. And uh, they're at Maitland Middle School, and they're having a good time, doing a good job. And my son Dustin pastors the church where I was at Orlando Baptist. So we're part-time church members everywhere now. We just kind of do a rotation, and uh, then I preach in between at different churches. And uh, so we love being here. I, I want to say just a couple of things about Wes and Diana since they're not here. Uh, I remember... Diana, when she got out of high school, she went away to college in Springfield, Missouri. She got up there in early September, and after about three or four weeks, she wrote me a letter. It was one of those letters that she made sure her tears kind of stained some of the letters on the page saying, I want to come home. I'm homesick, Dad. Please let me come home. If you'll let me come home, I'll, I'll, I'll go to college. Lord, i got to be home. And I mean, it was one of those tear-jerking letters which I didn't let Donna see because I knew what Donna would say, let her come home. And uh, I said to her, well, just stay till Christmas. 
stay till Christmas and see how it goes. Well, sometime between then and Christmas, she met this guy. <clears throat> and by the time she came home Christmas, there was not one word about wanting to come home. It was about Wesley. I've met Wesley. And before long, Wesley and Diana are liking each other. And I, I don't know how you dads are with daughters, but I make it miserable for the guys like my daughters. You know, my first meeting with them is, son, I can be your best friend or your worst enemy. It's kind of up to you. And I let him know Diana is a princess. We named her after Princess Di. She needs to be treated like that. He's, yes, sir, okay, okay. And, and they finally start dating, and then they got serious. And then the only calls I kept getting from Wesley is, how soon can we get married? And I said, when you graduate. He said, well, we're going to graduate in another semester. Let us go and get married and get used to it. During the I said, no, 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 no. And I'm glad we held Wes off a little while because it was good for them. They got married. They did an awesome job in Jacksonville, Florida. Wes did an awesome job with us at Orlando Baptist Church. And I remember the day I sat with him and said, Wesley, it's time. We ought to plant a church, and you ought to be the pastor, and let's get it done. And he had already been praying about this area and said, I want to come out here. And so our next conversation was, who would we invite to leave Orlando Baptist Church to come over here to help West start the church? And uh, we sent the best people Orlando Baptist Church had, the very best. Um, I don't want to start getting into names, but I can't help but mention Eloy and Jess, uh, who live right over by us and come all the way across town. But uh, a wonderful group of, of dream team members came to start the church. I see Dustin over here today and different ones. And I, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for your faithfulness. When we got Wesley, we got the Beecham family. And uh, the Beecham kids are my favorite kids in the whole world besides my kids. I just, I love them. And, and so thank you for everything. Thank you for loving your pastor. Thank you for having a great church. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes today, okay? Take your Bibles. Open to 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you would, please. I got 29 minutes and 52 seconds left here, so we're going to keep it going. This is one of my favorite stories. If you've grown up in church, you've heard a hundred times or more the story of David and Goliath. But I want to see if we can find a little something for each of us today. Father, before we read your word, I ask that you would just anoint us for a hearing today. Whatever's in our minds that are preconceived, whatever's in our minds that are distracting us, I pray for just these few minutes that you would help us to focus on what you have for us. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible says the Philistines now mustered their army for a battle and camped between Sokka and Judah and Ezekah and Ephesgamim. <coughs> Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a big valley in between. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistines' ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, nine feet tall. I want you to get a glimpse of this giant for a minute. He 
He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail. This was like a mesh vest that they would wear during that time to try to keep arrows and spears from penetrating them. He wore his bronze coat of mail, weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to all the Israelites. Why are you all all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight with me. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves, but if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. First of all, in that day, they used representative battles. So one guy from each side would come and fight, and whoever won, the whole side won. That's a pretty good deal if you have a Goliath on your team, right? Yeah, so Israelites are listening to this, and it says in the end of that passage, they were terrified and deeply shaken. There was a giant. They were shaken. I, I want to say to everybody today that I personally know a battle when I see one. And I know what it feels like to be in a battle. I wonder how many of you here recognize when you have a giant facing you in your life. Raise your hand if you do. Some of you this morning have a giant in your life. Some of you have a Goliath that is taunting you, that is beating you down, that is nine foot tall, that is bigger than you and bigger than life, and you're facing that giant. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. We all face giants, and if you're not facing one right now today, you will. Because they inevitably happen and they come into our life. I realize this about giants. They want to destroy us. And some of the battles I've been in have been because of my own choosing. And some of the battles I've been in weren't my choosing. I just stumbled into them. And some of the battles I've been in weren't my fault at all. They just came into my life. You don't know what's going to bring a battle into your life or what's going to get you to that place. But one of the biggest battles we face is Satan trying to destroy us. And we get discouraged and we messed up and Satan begins to tell us that we're not good enough. We've been beat up pretty good and he said, you're done. God's no more use for you. But all that's a lie too. Amen? So I want us to bow our heads for just a minute and I want to pray for us. And I want to talk a little bit more. With our heads bowed, I wonder how many of you might say today, okay, Pastor Dave, I'm facing a giant right now in my life. I'm facing a giant. I know what it is. And I need God to help me with this giant. If that's you, would you lift your hands today? I'm just going to pray for us. Just put them up, lots of us. God, I want to pray for these who have raised their hands and even those who didn't that you would help us today to realize and see how to deal with the giants in our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make a statement to you. All you can control in life is how you respond to life. You can't control what comes into your life, but you can control what you do with it. You can control how you respond to it. And today I want to speak to you about courage and about being courageous in your life. So it says in verse 20 that David left the sheep with another shepherd 
and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse, his father, had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. So he gets there about the time all of the children of Israel are coming up out of their foxholes and they're shouting for the battle. Ah, we're going to get you today. They were excited. I remember in college I played football. I was in a small school, Division III school uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were supposed to play a college down in Mississippi called Marion College, about our size, about the same competition as us. But our coach made a little mistake in the scheduling. He was working out of the NCAA book, and instead of scheduling Marion College, he scheduled Marion Military Institute in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which, if you know anything about it, it's said to be it was Bear Bryant's taxi squad at the time. So we get down there to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to Marion Military Institute, and we're out on the field, and we're shouting for the battle. You know, there's about 40 of us on the team, and we're, <laughs> we're doing our exercises. <laughs> we're going to get them to that. This is our day. And then I could feel the field vibrating and tilting a little as they began to come out from under the stadium, and that was the cheerleaders. And, 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 then, and then the team came out, about 80 of them, massive, giants. And I remember thinking about David and all these guys shouting for the battle. We shouted for the battle, but it didn't do much good that day because we played Mary Military Institute, and we scored seven points. They scored 76 points. It was a murderous day. So I, I can kind of relate to how they must have felt that day. But uh, let, let's just keep reading verse 21. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces, they stood facing each other, army against army. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he's talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout, look, look what it says here, his usual taunt to the army of Israel. For 39 days, he's been coming out every morning and taunting them. But today's going to change. This is day 40. God's man is on the scene. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. David asked the soldier standing nearby. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Listen to this. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of what? Say it out loud. The living God. Do you have that on there? Are you no wonder you couldn't finish it. He says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Let me just say this to you. Here's my first thought today. If we're going to bring our giants to their knees, we must believe in the reality of God. Do you believe God's a real God, yes or no? Do you believe God's alive, yes or no? We come to a church here, but I think sometimes we fail to grasp the reality that our God is alive. He's a real God. He is the one true and living God. You show me anybody in the Bible that amounted to anything, and I'll tell you they amounted to something because they believed in the reality of God. Moses crossing the Red Sea, Joshua going around the walls of Jericho, a Gideon with his 300. All through the Bible, you read the Bible and you see these great things. They believed in God. When I graduated from seminary, 
I had a suitcase full of dreams of all the things that were going to happen. And within a few short years, those things kind of got murdered by the reality of our world. But one thing never got murdered with me, and that was I knew God. And I know God. And not everything happens the way I want it to. And not everything happens the way I hoped it would or thought it would. But at the end of the day, I know that I have a real God in my life. And if you're going to be courageous in your life, and you're going to have the courage to live this life and live against the giants, I believe it all starts with knowing we have a real God. God is available to all believe in Him. And He's alive. Verse 28 says, But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. He says, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Can I just say this to you? You know who should have been in the battle? Eliab, this oldest brother. Not David, the little brother. Eliab was the choice kid out of Jesse's family. He should have been the guy in the battle. Instead, he's putting David down. And could I tell you this? When you decide to serve God, there are going to be people who are going to put you down. And when you decide to serve God, there are going to be people who try to discourage you. And when you try to do the right thing, there's going to be somebody trying to get you to do the wrong thing. Am I right? And I simply tell you, some of them, Eliab, some of them are going to be family members sometimes that even try to put us down. And I want to tell you, if you're going to face your giants and walk with God, you got to just put your head down and keep moving no matter what anybody else says. And by the way, the more God uses you in your life, the more people will talk against you. And the more God does with you, the more people will try to discourage you. But we do the right thing anyhow. Jump down to verse 32, 1 Samuel 17. It says this, David says, don't worry about this Philistine. David's now before the king. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. This kid's a fighter. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he's defied the armies of the living God. I love this next verse. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, he will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Here's the second thing today. Not only must we believe in the reality of God, we must believe in the reliability of God. He said, I not only believe in God, but I believe the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, he's going to deliver me from this pagan, this uncircumcised Philistine. Could I tell you something? We grow in our confidence in God many times in private and in small things. I've always said to, to people that I get to teach, little faith, little prayers, little answers. More faith. More prayers, more answers. Big faith, big prayers, big answers. It starts with a little thing. You begin to trust God for something here. 
and you see God come through. And now you got a little more confidence to pray for a little more. And you see God come through. And now you see God, you got faith for a bigger thing here. And, and you pray and God comes through and, and it gets bigger and bigger in your life. And that's the way God begins to build us in our faith. And David said, I saw it with the bear when I was just a shepherd boy out in nowhere where no one saw me. And God delivered me there, and he delivered me from the lion. He's always delivered me. And my same God will deliver me now from the giant that's uh, intimidating the whole nation of Israel. We believe in the reliability of God. God is able. He's able to do this thing. Building your courage, building your faith. I think of it like swimming. Uh, Diana is a good swimmer. All, all our kids are good swimmers. We have a pool. And I remember when I was first trying to get Diana to learn to just jump in the pool. And she was so scared and so nervous and had to get her nose held just right and everything so she could jump in. And she finally jumped in. And then I told her, you could dive. And, you know, you do a few belly flops learning how to dive. And finally, we got her diving, you know. And, and we would put a little hoop in there and say, you got to dive and get through and not make any splash. And and she got better at it. And now she could run and dive. And was a great swimmer and did all these things. And one day I come out and all the kids are up on the roof, running off the roof, jumping into the pool. And that's kind of the big fun thing at our house now. And it's death-defying. Uh, but you know how that started? It started jumping in the pool, right? started with the first jump. And it built up to where they get to here. And I want to simply ask you, where are you in this faith walk? And de depending on your reliable God today. And, and do something. Begin to trust him. Begin to see God do that thing in your life. And, and I, I look at this church, and I'm going to ask you something. Has God been reliable in this church? Wow, has he? God has been faithful. And you know what? Every church is going to go through some hills and valleys. That's very important. You have to go through some downtime so you can make sure you got your footing trusting God because we trust God in the tough times, and that's where we learn the most about God. And if it's always up here before long, we begin to think we're up here because of us instead of because of God. And so God does that with us, and he, and he builds us. And so they're facing the giant. Verse 38, Saul gave David his own armor. Now, do you remember why Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel? Tell me. Because he was the what? He was the tallest man in Israel. That's how Saul became king. They looked around and said, he's the tallest guy, and they picked him for the king. So here's the tallest guy in Israel, and he's already called David a little ruddy-faced boy. He gives David his armor. All I can see, and, and when he says, he puts his bronze helmet and the coat of mail. Remember the coat of mail? So maybe Saul's weighs 30 pounds. But he hangs this on David, and he tries to put his sword on there, and he can't even move. And he takes it off and says, I can't go with this stuff. This isn't going to do me. I, I'm going to just do what I've always done that God has been faithful with me with. And he took his sling and his staff, and he heads out into the valley to face the Philistine. If you'll write this down, if you're taking notes, the third thought is this. I not only believe in the reality of God and the reliability of God, but I believe in the resources of God. God is enough. You know what, in my life, when I've asked God for things, at times when I didn't think God was moving fast enough, I tried to help God. You know, I, 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 and what happens when we start doing that, what we're really doing is trying to do it ourselves. 
instead of trusting God. But it's God's resources. David couldn't use the king's resources. He used his. And so he goes out, and he doesn't go by might or by power, but he, the Bible says, by my spirit, says the Lord. I'll give you an example. In 1999, the Lord did speak to my heart and said that the decade of 2000 to 2010 with World Hope would be our decade of evangelism. And that, that time of fasting and prayer, the Lord told me we would see a million people come to Christ. And that was unfathomable to me. But we decided to start in harvest time countries, countries that were very open and needing to the gospel. So our first crusade was in Vijwada, India. And um, I remember a plane load of people from the church were heading over there. I was in Nairobi, Kenya, looking at a piece of property that we were going to buy to be the Hope Center. And we were walking around that property, praying over it. And I looked and realized I'm running late to get to the airport to fly to India. And I told the pastor, Oli, I said, Oli, you got to get me to the airport. I'm, I'm running late. So we get to the airport, and I thought I was two hours in advance. I go up to the counter and give him my ticket to get on the flight. And he said, we're closing the gate. I said, no, I thought this was the two-hour warning on the ticket. He said, no, that's the leaving time on the ticket. You're not getting on this flight. Man, I got on my knees. I was begging this guy. I was bribing this guy. Anything I could to get that door open to get on that plane. And he let me know, you're not on this flight. And I panicked. And I said, God, why would you let this happen to me? I'm supposed to be over there starting Monday and preaching a crusade to people and and I've missed my flight, and the people from America are going to get to India, and I'm not going to be there, and they're not going to know what to do. I'm not going to know how to find him. I, I was devastated. I spent all night that Saturday night trying to find a flight that I could get on to get to India. I finally found an Air Emirates flight that went through Dubai. I remember I got on that flight about 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd been in the airport all night. I got on the flight, sat down in the seat, put my stuff down in the seat, and fell asleep. I remember being shaken by the flight attendant in Dubai who said, Mr. Janney, everybody's off the plane. you got to get off. We're cleaning the plane. So I jumped off and got off the plane. And if you've ever been to Dubai, you want to go to the duty-free. It's the most beautiful duty-free shops in the world. And I went to the duty-free shop, and I bought a bottle of cologne because I realized I'd been up all night, no shower, a lot of sweating, not good going to spray that on. I went up to the counter to pay for it. What's the first thing they ask you for at a duty-free counter? Can we see your passport? I reached in my pocket and realized I left my passport on the seat in that plane. I ran back down there to the gate. I got to the Air India uh, uh, Emirates gate and I said, hey, hey I, I left my passport on the plane. They said, which plane? I said, the plane that came in from Nairobi just uh, an hour or so ago. She said, that plane's already left. I said, no, that can't be the it's left. I said, I had my passport. They said, well, you're going to have to go to the Air India flight and see what they can do. So I went to the Air India flight. Now I'm super defeated and super saying, God, what's going on? And I get to the Air India counter and say, I don't have my ticket or my passport, but I'm supposed to be on this flight. And they said, what's your name? And I said, David Janney. They said, they brought your passport and ticket here. And I got that, and I got on the plane, and I sat in the seat, and I was kissing my passport and making you know, a little really love with it. And, and as, as I was looking at it, 
I looked at my visa for India, and it's January, and my visa expired in November. And I, I just thought, this, this isn't good. I had other words, but this is church. So I get to the customs line in India. When it's time to go through customs, I show them my passport, and they let me through. And I'm thinking, that is weird. I'm going to get in trouble when I come back. So I come back to the customs guy, and I said, look, this thing expired in November. He said, no, you got it in November. It's good for a year. So it really wasn't expired, but I thought it was. What's in your mind is what's going on, though, right? I missed my flight from Bombay to Hyderabad. My wife and all of them were there. They couldn't find me. They didn't know what to do. They'd gone on to Hyderabad. And when I got there, all of the group had gone all the way to Vijuwada on a train. But my wife and two of the kids, a couple of the kids were there waiting. And we were too late for the train, so we had to drive 10 hours from, from Hyderabad to get across to Vijuwada. We drove all night long. We got there Monday morning about 5 a.m. The driver of the car said, would you like to go see the grounds where the crusade's going to be tonight? And I said, yeah. I remember getting up on that stage. It was a stage higher than this. It was a field that would hold about 30,000 people. And I remember when they turned the lights on, I collapsed on that stage and began to cry, saying, God, I can't do this. I am gone. This last 24 hours has killed me. I can't do it. And God spoke into me, David, this is where I've been trying to get you. Don't you understand? I don't need you. You need me. Could I tell you today, God doesn't need you. You need God. God is real. He is reliable. And his resources are enough. I've learned in the darkest, darkest moments of my life, God's enough. He can carry you through. He can take you through. I know Satan wants to take us and tell us we can't do it. But we can do it. God can do it. In my hands, a basketball is worth about 29 bucks. In LeBron James' hands, it's worth 100 million bucks. Just depends on whose hand it's in. In my hand, a golf club. Good for hitting a dog. In Tiger Woods' hands, it's worth billions of dollars in green coats. Just depends on whose hand it's in. In my hand, my original Pancho Gonzalez tennis racket isn't worth much. But in Serena Williams' hands, it's been worth countless tournaments. It just depends on whose hand it's in. In my hand, a staff isn't worth much. But in Moses' hand, it parted the Red Sea. It depends on whose hand it's in. In my hand, a rock and a sling aren't worth much. But in David's hands, it took down a giant. It just depends on whose hand it's in. In my hands, a piece of wood and a nail isn't worth much. Maybe I could make a birdhouse out of it. But a nail and wood in the hands of Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. It just depends on whose hand it's in. Amen. Trust him. He is enough. 
Could I read on just a little bit further? Verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bare ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and spear and javelin, but listen, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Listen what he says, today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Amen. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. I'm not going to read the rest of it except to tell you that David threw that rock and gave Goliath excedrin headache number one. His last thought was nothing has ever entered my mind like this before. Man, he was down and gone, and, and he came and took Goliath's sword, and he cut his head off, and, and he let everybody know that God runs and reigns and rules in Israel. My last thought is simply, know and believe you're God's representative for the battle. I've been in some battles that I chose, but God didn't chose. Everybody look here just a minute. God hasn't asked you to fight every battle. I think sometimes... We look for fights to get in. That's not what we're to do. We're to listen to God in our life and get into the things God wants us to. Some things are better left undone. If I wanted to get in some fights today, there's certainly some fights I could get in. I could go back and try to get even with people who have hurt me, with people who have sought to destroy me. But God didn't put my name on that battle. You fight the battles God's put on for you. And when you fight those battles, you can fight knowing that the army of the Lord is with you. He is real. He is reliable. He has the resources, and he'll be there for you. All the great things in my life that have happened, they've been God's stories, not my stories. They've all been what God did, not what I did. And I want to say to you today, God wants to use you. Early in this message, I said to you, all you can control in life is how you respond to life. How are you responding to what's going on in your life right now? You can't erase the pain of your past, but you can erase the pain of your future. You can't change the past, it's done. But you can change the future. You can let God control your life and direct your life. Some of you here today, it's time you let God empower you to see the giant come down in your life. Could be a habit, could be relationship, could be finances. It could be that secret sin that you know about, you don't want it, but you don't know how to get rid of it. It's a giant. It's kicking your butt. You want out of it. Today could be your day. Let's bow our heads together for a moment. I want to pray for us. Then the team's going to, I think we're going to worship the Lord in some song. But I want to pray for you right now. How many of you would say, today God has spoken into me, and I want victory over this giant? Maybe it's been just not 
recognizing how real God is. Maybe it's not been relying on God. Maybe it's not realizing God wants to help me. But you'd say, today, I want victory. I need victory. And I want to agonize before God. Pastor Dave, like you said on the stage and said, I can't do this, God. God wants you to be there today so he can say to you, I don't need you, you need me. How many would say today, pray with me when you pray right now because that's my need. If that's you, would you just lift your hands across the way and let me pray with you today. Just keep them up. Keep them up a minute. Don't be embarrassed about it. We're, we're head bowed. I, I just want to pray with us today. Lots of us. Lots of us. Lots of us. Let's stand as we pray together, okay? ask you to do something today. I want us to join hands with each other. I want you to hold a hand of whoever's near you. And when we pray right now, I want you to pray for the person's hand you're holding. You don't, even if you don't know their name, that's fine. I want you to pray for them. We have things that we don't even mention, but God knows all about them. And right now today, let's talk to God about this and let him have control. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your wonderful love for us. Thank you for telling us stories that are true in the Bible, that we can learn from those things. And here in this story of David and Goliath, we learn that you are the true and living God, and you are reliable. I've heard it said you're never in a hurry, but you're always on time. Lord, we may have gone through some dark times, but you're there and you know it and you're with us. And I pray that we would realize today that we can trust in your resources and know that you're enough. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us and deliver us. I pray for deliverance for all those who raise their hands today, that you would deliver them from the heat of the battle and you would deliver them from the giant, from the Goliath, from the nine-foot-tall giant. I pray today over all of those who are dealing with habits that they want to get rid of that's a giant in their life that's just got them in bondage. Lord God, would you deliver them right now? Take that bondage out of their life. Today, may they see light at the end of the tunnel. May they see hope. May they see deliverance. I pray for those today that they've got a relationship giant. It may be a husband and wife. It may be with their kids or their parents. It may be with someone at work. It may be with a friend or just someone who's a giant relationship that's destroying. Lord, would you deliver them from that right now? Would you please bring deliverance to them? God, may we trust in you today. May we know that you're enough. May we know that you're the victory. We can't control what's coming into our life, but God, we can control what we do with it. And today we choose God. We choose you. We choose to have you be in control. We choose to give the reins to you and let you guide us and lead us. Lord, take over. Do what you do. Lead us and bring us out in victory. And we will give you the honor and glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.